Grab your Bibles, your outlines, your Kleenexes, and we will dive into Genesis chapter 24. We are in a series this week and next week and last week called Growing Old Together, talking about ancient truths for modern marriages. And if you find yourself not married today, that's okay. If you are married, you may have learned that some of the secrets to marriage are the secrets to life in general. And we learn how to love one another. And we love our spouse primarily as we love the Lord and we love uh, everyone else in our lives as well. You'll see in your bulletins as you pull out that blank outline that you could take notes all over. There's a sign-up card to be a home group community leader. Twice a year, we do an all-church small group study. And the reason we do that is to get people who aren't yet connected, connected. And so if you are connected, or even if you're not, and you'd like to open up your home to help others get connected in community, we would love to give you more information on this or have you sign up. You can fill this out and drop it off at Connection Central on your way out this morning. Now, if you found it, we're in Genesis 24. We will read verses 1 through 9, and then we will pray. Let's read this. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servants in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want, to, want you to swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am now living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and will get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning his master. Let's pray together, and then we'll talk about Genesis 24. Father, you've called us to serve you and walk with you. You've told us that if we do that, if we trust you, you will build our lives into your purposes and into your future. Pray that you would give us the faith to trust you when we go through times of hardship or darkness or uncertainty, when the future that we think you have for us doesn't look like it's coming together. Pray that you would help us to cling to you, to abide in you, and to see you work through us and in us and around us as we cling to you sometimes for dear life. Help us to cling to one another in community and in marriage and in life as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a long shot, but it just might work. That's a phrase that's a very exciting phrase to hold on to when you're watching TV, when you're a junior high kid, or or if you're watching a movie. You imagine you're watching football with some friends, and you're watching the Raiders, so they're down by a lot of points in the... (laughs) 
I really don't know anything about football. I just chose a team I thought would make you laugh, and it worked. 12 seconds left. Down by 15 points, and the Raiders have the ball, and you think, okay, this is what you say out loud to your friends. All they need to do is throw a Hail Mary, get the touchdown, two-point conversion, onside kick, throw another one, two-point conversion, and they got it. It's a long shot, but it just might work. There's something in us that loves to see the long shot when it just might work. We see the spaceship in the movie. All it has to do is get through that little doorway that's just like this much bigger than the spaceship before the doors start to close and the whole place explodes. And you know it's a long shot, but it's a movie, so it's going to work. You're 13 years old and you're having a slumber party and you're upstairs, your parents are downstairs watching TV and you tell your friends, all we have to do is tiptoe down the stairs behind the couch without getting my parents to notice and sneak out the door and the night is ours. It's a long shot, but it just might. Abraham is sending a servant out on a long shot. He's got his son Isaac. The God has said, I'm going to fulfill the promises of God through this son and his offspring. But Isaac has no offspring. Isaac has no wife. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, has passed away. And so now in this new promised land is Abraham and his son. And they're looking at each other saying, okay, God's going to provide grandkids here But they look around and no suitable helper is found. So Abraham pulls his servant in and says, okay, I want you to go back to my hometown and find a wife for my son Isaac. Go far away. Walk a thousand miles. That's like walking from here to Vancouver, British Columbia or to New Mexico. Not super far. You know, it's it's a hefty walk. And when you get there, Find a woman who would be totally up for leaving everything and walking with a stranger a thousand miles to marry a man she's never met and settle down there because God told you it's going to work. It's a long shot, but it just might work. It was fun when we read the Bible and we see long shots, but we need to remember that for Abraham and for this servant, This was real life. Real life long shots aren't as exciting as movie long shots. I think one of the reasons we love watching that long shot in a movie is because a movie is a place that long shots happen. In life, a lot of times it doesn't. When we look at the things that God has for us in the future, we watch a video like this and we see a couple growing old together. And then we look at the person sitting next to us and we think, that would be a long shot. To live together for the next 60 years without killing each other and get to a place that when one of us gets sick, the other one still wants to be around, maybe it'll work, but it's a different kind of long shot. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, we've tried all the treatments that we have and, and there's one experimental treatment left and it's a long shot it might work. It's a different feeling when it's real life. It's a different feeling when you're trying to decide what to do with an addict who lives in your home and you've tried everything and nothing's working and and people tell you and the counselor tells you that it's time for some tough love and 
and you feel like, okay, it's a long shot, but if it doesn't work, if it doesn't fix the problem, and it kills the relationship. So we look at the long shots that are in front of us, and we're not filled with excitement or energy. We're, we're filled with dread and, and fear and, and disheartening, debilitating paralysis because we know that the reason it's called a long shot is because it probably won't work. Yet Abraham stands with this servant and he says, go find a wife for my son Isaac. The servant knows it's a long shot. He says, Abraham, um, just to play a little devil's advocate here, what if I get there and, and, and I find a nice lady and for some reason she doesn't want to move a thousand miles with a stranger to marry a man she's never met? And should I come back and get Isaac and, and leave this insanity that you're doing and take her back to your hometown? Isaac says, no way. And God has told me that we're going to set up a nation here. And so don't take my son Isaac back there. We're staying here. If for some reason the long shot doesn't work out, then you're not bound from this oath. But do not take my son Isaac away from the land that God has promised us. Abraham had a vision for a future that God had told him would happen, and he was going for it, going for the long shot. And since he was too old to travel, he sent another guy to walk to New Mexico. And so he loads up 10 camels with all these nice things to show this woman that, hey, I'm taking you away, but at least he's rich, you know. And, <laughs> and he treks off into the desert. A few months probably later, the servant arrives at Abraham's home country. And they hadn't been there in probably 60, 70, 80 years. And doubtless things had changed. They had no relationships in that town. And, and so he got there to the, to the spring where women would come throughout the day and get water for their households. And, and as this servant watched all of these women coming, he's thinking, okay, I've got to choose one or ask one or beg one to leave with me. He wanted to make the right choice. You know, Abraham had said, hey, if this doesn't work out, you're not bound to the oath. But he had served Abraham for so long. He wanted to get a woman that would want to come back with him. And so he gets before the Lord and says, God, give me success in this journey that I'm on. Lord God, if my master Abraham make me successful today, Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I might have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He had to choose the right woman. A woman who would not just be crazy enough to say yes, but a woman who would step back into Abraham and Isaac's life and become the matriarch for the people of God. If you read the New Testament, you see over and over and over again, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are children of Abraham, the Jews would say. From this family, God set up this kingdom, and Abraham knew God was doing something there. And so the woman that God would place into that family after Sarah's death would be the matriarch, the one who allowed God to do his blessing through his people. So it couldn't just be any woman. It had to be the right woman, a godly woman. A woman who would be fit for the plan of God that sounds a lot crazy sometimes. 
So he says, God, uh, let, me, let it just be that if I see a woman coming and I ask her for some water and she gives it to me and says, hey, I'll, I'll feed your camels too, let that be the woman. And it's kind of like when you're trying to figure out what God wants from you and so you ask God for a sign, you know. God, please let it be a, a woman driving a Honda Accord with a purple hat and a canary on her shoulder. Like, then I'll know. Then I'll know. But Abraham's servant asked for a very specific type, type of woman. A woman who had a, probably a five-gallon pot of water that she was carrying on her shoulder. She was in the midst of her day, coming down this hill to the stream where she'd fill it with water and put it on her head probably and walk up this hill and then back home again. So he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to interrupt this woman in the midst of her day while she's trying to go get dinner ready or whatever she's trying to do. And I'm going to ask her to stop and take this 45-pound jug off of her head and give me a drink. And God, let the woman that I ask that to, who gives me a drink and then offers to give water to all my camels, 10 camels, let that be the right woman. You know, a camel probably drinks 15 to 20 gallons of water in a sitting, up to 40 if they're super thirsty. So let's just say it's 20. 200 gallons of water divided by five gallon pot equals 80 trips down a hill and up again with like a 50-pound, 45-pound pot of water on her head. So this guy prays, God, when I find a woman and I ask her for a drink of water, and she says, hey, you know what? I was in the middle of something, but I'll spend the next couple hours schlepping 50-pound pots of water up a hill just to feed your camels. <laughs> says, when that happens, let that be the woman that you have chosen to fulfill your plans. And before we give Rebecca too much credit, even though that's an amazing feat, this is a job that somebody had to do. In the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see there are two types of cities. There's a type of city that when strangers come in, they welcome them and serve them. And there's a type of city that when strangers come in, they abuse them and neglect them. You saw last week, Abraham was sitting at his tent with Sarah and these three visitors show up. And Abraham, being a righteous man, runs out to these visitors and says, come in, come grab a seat. Let's cook some food for you. Let's get some drinks for you. Let's welcome you with hospitality into our home. And then the three men stand up and they go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're received there in the opposite way. The townspeople turn against them and they want to sexually abuse these men. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, you see that a people is shown to be righteous when they welcome strangers, and a people is shown to be evil when they cast strangers away. And so if this was to be a city where good people lived, someone would have to step up and serve this stranger. And the servant of Abraham says, I want that woman to be the one that you do your plans through. Now, we don't have to carry water very often in our context. But there are a lot of things in life that we look around and think, okay, somebody's got to step in here. You take Bart to work. And it's crowded. And this, like, pregnant lady comes in onto the train with, like, seven kids. And you think, this is my wife. <laughs> She's not pregnant. And you think, okay, somebody better give their seat to that lady. And somebody has to, and sometimes nobody does. This servant says, hey, let it be the person who actually does. Let that be the person that God uses. You're in a parking lot, and you see these people get into an altercation, and there's this big tough guy and this tiny elderly woman, and he's screaming at her, and you think, somebody's got to step in and stop this thing. 
Well, somebody does. He says, God, let it be the person who does. Let that be the person that you use in your plan. And a lot of times we sit around and we wait for God to ask us to do a really big thing for him. Yet this servant understands the type of people that God uses to do really big things are the people that God uses to do really small things, seemingly small things. People who take strangers in. People who care for other people's kids. People who bring groceries to people in need. People who give money to causes that need them. People who serve their neighbor. People who stop what they're doing in the midst of getting gallons of water for dinner and they put everything down and they go help someone who needs something. The servant says, God, I want to get the right wife for Isaac. And I think the right wife is going to be the one who out of everyone in this city stops and serves and helps a stranger in need. So he goes to Rebecca, and he tries his little line, you know. And if you've ever been a guy who has to go and, like, talk to a girl because you're single and you're hoping to marry them someday, that's a little too far forward. Uh, if you are talking to a girl because you want to date her or whatever, you know it's a little bit scary, right? Now, this is more like, hey, I got a friend. You know, hey, I got a friend. He's a 1,000 miles away. He's looking for a wife. I know you never met him, but he's rich. Look at all these camels. Come with me, right? And so this guy's got to get his courage up to go to Rebecca and say, hey, uh, can I get something to drink? And so he goes to her and asks for a drink of water, and she says, yeah, sure. And so she gives him some water and says, hey, your camels must be thirsty. You want me to jump up and down this hill 80 times and schlep some water for him? <laughs> He's like, it's you. And he starts getting jewelry off of his camels, and he puts a nose ring in her nose, which probably would have been super awkward. And he's putting bracelets on her, and she's like, what is going on? He's like, is this guy proposing to me? He's like, no, 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 I got a big story. Uh, and he realizes, I have to go convince her whole family to let their daughter go. You know, sometimes when we get a great idea for God and we think he's doing something, it sounds really good in our head and it starts to work out, and then we got to go talk to people about it. You're at a missions conference, you're like, man, I think God wants me to move my whole family to Africa. i got to call my wife. She's going to be totally on board with this idea. Or your wife's at church and she's thinking about, I feel like we need to just sell all of our stuff and give to the poor. And I just need to tell my husband. And the husband's like, uh, God didn't tell me about that. Right? <laughs> Sometimes we get discouraged because we've got these great plans and, and then we try to enact them. You know, you think, you know what, I want to be like that couple in the video. I want to be like that woman who serves and serves and serves. I want to serve my spouse forever. And you try to serve them and they're like, what are you doing? Stop serving me. And you really want this thing to work, but you've got to get everyone else on board. And normally for us, when we realize there's something big we want to do and there's a lot of people we've got to convince of it, we start networking, right? You go to your wife, you take her out to a nice dinner and say, hey, you want to move to Africa? You take your husband out and you say, hey, um, what if instead of going out to this nice dinner, we give the money to the poor, right? You start connecting with people. You make relationships. You talk to the head of the missions agency, right? You talk to whoever it is. You've got this idea you want to do, and you start feeling the waters and having those meetings and winning people over because you know the thing that you want to do seems crazy, and so you've got to build those relationships to win people over. This guy didn't have any relationships. He was new in town. He didn't know anyone. He didn't even know Rebecca. All he had was some camels with some jewelry on it and a story about what God was doing. And so he goes to Rebecca's house to share the story and hope it worked. 
And so since her family was a righteous family, they said, yeah, let's take this guy in. And he comes down, and her brother and her dad says, hey, come have dinner with us. And they're sitting around the table. And, and before he eats, this guy says, hey, I can't eat a bite of your food until I tell you what's going on here. They're like, all right, what's going on? And he tells the whole story, like everything, just like, gushes it out. If you've ever read Genesis and you've read through this section, you wonder like, okay, why did we read all about this in Genesis 24? And then the servant sits down for dinner and tells us it all again. I think it's because that's how it happened. This guy had nothing to rely on. No context, no, no relationships, no anything. And so he just said, here's what's happened. I have this master Abraham. He sent me on this journey and I brought the camels and I showed up and I talked to Rebecca and she did this and I was praying and God answered the prayer and now I'm here and there's a nose ring and all this going on. Here's what God's doing. What do you think? And that's the scary part, right? The what do you think? Can I take your daughter away even though I'm a strange man and I say I'm going to marry her away to someone else you'll never see her again? It says in verse 49, Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. So I may know which way to turn. After they heard the story of the prayer and the journey and the God and the sending, Laban, Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, Rebekah's dad, said, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. And twice in that paragraph, they use the, way Yah, the name Yahweh, the name of, of this guy's God, Abraham's God, our God. You know, that's the scariest part. He's showing up at this land full of pagan people and hoping that God has people there where God will provide there in this land. And his fingers are crossed and his prayers are going up. And then God does it through the story. And they say, well, all you got to do is get her mom's permission. It's like, oh, no. So the next morning he goes to leave, and the mom says, why don't you just stay in like another week and a half? Don't take my daughter away forever. And he's like, no, we got to go now. She's like, well, let's get Rebecca out here. She, would, she, would, she thinks, so that's probably a good idea. So Rebecca comes out. He's like, hey, are you cool to leave now? She's like, let's do it. And off they go. Bye, mom. Bye, dad. Bye, well. Hello, stranger and camels. I hope Isaac's cute. <laughs> it's funny, this whole story, I'm sure Abraham's servant is just like trembling and thinking, okay, this is a long shot, but I hope it works. But for us who have the privilege of reading it from a bird's eye view, we understand that to God there's no such thing as a long shot. That the God of Abraham, the God of this servant, the God of Rebekah, the God of Laban and Bethuel is the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who called Abraham out of his family and to this promised land. The God who took an 80-year-old woman or a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man and gave them a baby. This is the God who orchestrated all things and called all these people to himself. The God who created the camels that were carrying the, the jewelry on their back. The God who provided the woman at the well to speak with the servant of Abraham. The God who provided the conversation. He was doing all of these things. And so though, even though this servant thought, this thing's a long shot, 
God wasn't in heaven going, I hope this works out. It's my only chance. This wasn't God sending out a Hail Mary and hoping they can convert. This was was a story of God orchestrating all things. Now, the truth is, in our lives, we don't know what God's doing with our future. But what we do know is that if he wants to do something, he's going to do it. He can do it. And he will do it. And the hard thing is, we don't know until we get there if he's going to do it or not. But he does. And if that's true, then all that we can do is cling to him and trust that we get where he wants us to go because it's better than where we want us to go. And that's what Jesus said when he walked the earth. He said, I'm the vine, and y'all, you're the branches. Now, if you want to bear fruit, you want to have a fruitful life, you want to see God working through you, abide in the vine. Don't be that branch who cuts himself off and walks away and says, I'm going to show this vine what I can do on my own and then dies. If you cut a branch off a tree, it's not going to bear any fruit. Cling to me. Abide in me. And I will bear much fruit through you. That's not just a New Testament story. It's been happening since the beginning. That the God of the heavens and the earth, the God of the Old and New Testament is one who holds all things in his hand. And has a plan to redeem humanity, to save humanity. And he'll do it. All we can do is trust him. And the story of Isaac and Rebecca is the same as the story of Jesus and us. We were those ones without a hope in this faraway land away from our father. And all we needed was someone to come and step into relationship with us. And so the promises could be fulfilled. And the Bible says at just the right time, God sent his son to step into our humanity, to take that journey of a lot of miles and to step into our lives and step into a covenant relationship, like a marriage relationship with his people. Because the Redeemer is coming and God has control over all those things. Abraham's servant saddled up his camels and went on his way. says, Rebecca and her attendees got ready, mounted the camels, and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who's that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and he married Rebekah. She became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The matriarch came to the family and God redeemed his people. And the work that he started with Abraham and Sarah and in Isaac now kept working through Isaac and Rebekah and would continue on for generations and generations to come. And we're part of that story too. This morning, I don't know what God is doing in your life that you feel like might be a long shot. But take heart in knowing that our God is not a God of long shots. He's a God of the heavens and the earth and the circumstances. And he does what he wants to do. And the safest place that you can be is clinging desperately to him. 
Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, we recognize that some of us in here feel like we're drowning underwater and it's because we don't know you. We hear about this God who oversees all things and we feel like, I don't know who that God is, but he's not overseeing my life. Pray that we, you would give people, men and women and kids, the faith this morning to understand Jesus, who he is. That he is that one from a faraway land who came as the redemptor for his people, to step into a covenant relationship with them, who died on the cross to forgive their sins, who rose from the grave to give them life, and who rules and reigns from his throne in heaven, and who is working to build his kingdom into this world through his covenant people. Thank you for the glimpse that we see of that in the story of Isaac and Rebekah, and the story of Abraham and Sarah, and next week in the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah. We thank you for the way that you work, Pray that we would cling to you as we grow old together. For marriages that need life, we pray that you would breathe life into them as we serve one another. Pray that through our sacrificial life, love, our spouse would see Jesus in us and be won over without words by the behavior of us. Pray for our kids and for our families and our communities and people around the world that the story of the kingdom of the God who is over all things would redeem all people. And that every tongue and tribe and nation would hear of the one who came to save them and he would bring them into abundant life. We pray that you would do that through us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and as we go around the world and bring your gospel to all people, that, that you would be doing your work of recreation through us as we cling to you and watch you do the work pray that as we abide in you, that you would bear much fruit in our lives. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who came from the faraway place to save us. Amen.